Welcome, everybody, to the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. I am David Van Bepper. And we are joined again with who? The Troublemaker. The Troublemaker of Missouri. (laughs) Yes, yes, I I have decided to uh, make sure that in my first appearance in in the the fellowship of the Tag Your It guys that I got a, a double dose because I just hit a hornet's nest and... I, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, I, well, again, Will Hoffman here, uh, guys, uh, introduce myself to everybody. Um, president of the Missouri Baptist Apologetic Network. Um, last week we talked about Layton Flowers, um, and then Layton Flowers responded. Um, and well, now I'm here to respond to some of his statements. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we, uh, tonight, uh, we did have planned to go over some, uh, Rhett, uh, like Rhett and link Rhett's tweets and stuff like that. And we will get to that. But, uh, because of what happened, uh, last week, uh, we, des- we think that this deserves priority and a response from us. So we're definitely taking the opportunity, um, not doing that. So uh, if there was any sort of, um, buildup, um, that that was going to be something awesome. We will get to it uh, eventually, um, but uh, this takes precedence. So we needed to talk about uh, Layton's response. We wanted to respond to that, um, but uh, just some housekeeping to get out of the way. Um, next month is Noahic Covenant Awareness Month, so we've got some shows, um, and we're actually uh, recording one tonight. I'll be out of town, so we'll have to have a show that goes up on the first to start the <laughs> Noahic Covenant. Um, Awareness Month, anyway, and we'll be doing that with Brandon Dodd, uh, just talking about the Noahic Covenant, uh, talking about that in the New Testament as well um, with him. So we got that. We've got Twisting the Rainbow, uh, you know, just something that's happened earlier this year with <laughs> Philip Wright. We've had that one. Um, and so we'll be discussing a sermon on, on that. Um, and then we've got some conversion therapy stuff and then some 1946 in the uh, term of homosexual anyway, that we'll end up dealing with next month, um, dealing with the Noahic covenant. Um, so, uh, just be prepared for those things. Uh, we've got that coming up next month and that's why, um, it's going to be hard to discuss anything else. Cause we definitely want to take president's and priority on those kind of issues during the month next month. Um, but before we get into what we're getting into tonight, um, we want to let you know that uh, there has been discourse between us and Leighton Flowers uh, via um, some you know private messaging and stuff like that. And uh, or in did, my case, some public messaging. Yeah, some public messaging. <laughs> yeah. And so um, there will there there will be a discussion on this podcast. Uh, August second um, is uh, the tentative date that we have planned to have Leighton Flowers on the tag your it podcast to discuss the issue. So that gives us time to cool off, um, time to, uh, pray, uh, time to research one another and then be able to dialogue, um, you know, cordially with one another face to face. Yeah. I think that it's very important that we come into this in a non emotion driven manner. So what is probably going to be very noticeable, I hope, is that our goal is not to tear down, destroy, look. 
I admire Dr. Flowers and his love for soteriology because when we dive into God's word deeper in a systematic way, in a way that strives to honor the text, and we're all going to fail in doing that. None mm -hmm. of us have a perfect ability to do that. But when we dive into God's amazing plan of redeeming his people, we do so because it gives us a greater love for our creator and redeemer who saved us from our sin. And so anyone who will dedicate their lives to that is certainly someone that we respect. And so if it was at all communicated that we don't have the utmost respect, that is simply not the case. You can go back to over a year ago when we dealt with Dr. Howe. We offered pointed, serious criticism. Now, there were some broad brushstrokes offered in our last program. We will certainly funnel them down to a more specific content that demonstrates why we have thoughtfully dealt with his arguments in a way that is not only meaningful, but edifying, and likewise should give us a greater love for God's amazing plan in redeeming people who hated him and didn't deserve to be redeemed unto himself. And so with that said, the way we're going to do this program is very simple. We're going to kick it off to Will because, again, we're grateful. Will is the president of the Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network, and he is a TAG fellow, but he's one of our colleagues. He's not below us. If anything, he's someone that we are privileged to have on the program because of his dedication, not just to soteriology, but to making sure that God's redemptive plan is proclaimed in a persuasive and biblically faithful manner to those who have been lost and created idols and that are stuck in cults. So, Will, take it away. Um, yes, I'm going to, but before I do that, I was just looking on Instagram uh, and notice that Jonathan Hayashi has been asking for prayer, um, which he is a, a member of the network. Mm -hmm. uh, his son uh, broke his leg today. Oh. Um, and, and it's his younger son. Mm. Um, so I know that's going to be a very, a very tough time for a little guy, especially in the summer. So, yeah. uh, if you don't mind, let's just pray for him real fast and, uh, then I'll get onto my, my, my stuff. So, right. uh, father God, I want to just take this time to pray for Jonathan, our brother, our network member, uh, father, as his son has uh, broken his leg. Father, we, we pray for comfort, healing. Uh, Father, just be with the doctors and nurses. Be with Jonathan and his wife as they, they care for this, um, for their son, and take care of all the other little ones that they have. Uh, Father, in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Get better, so, little Hayashi. Yes, um, yes. We need you. You're the future. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, so, yes, we, we talked last week about... Um, Primarily, uh, a tweet that was was given out by uh, Lane Flowers, and I did um, I did make a mistake last week, and I want to want to start off by saying this: um, I I generalize the two ministries that Layton is affiliated with, Texas and his Soteriology, uh, the Texas Baptist Convention and Soteriology One Hundred and One. Uh, I generalized that too much, and I did not, I guess, make that clear uh, that that was two different things. Now, however, as we have discussed, you know, a lot of people outside of Texas only know Layton uh, as the director of uh, evangelism and apologetics, 
but they mainly know him from Soteriology 101. Um, so I, I had reached out to Layton after the response, after he, he had said that we, we had done this and, and that is on me. Yes. I, I generalized too much. His, his two ministries, I generalized it as one. So first and foremost, I want to say Layton, I'm sorry for doing that. Um, but also something else that I said later on in the video that I don't know if he even had gotten to yet. Um, because within the, the first video, uh, and again, I want to say, Layton, you did something that I, I hate doing. You made me listen to myself for like two hours. <laughs> um, I am the guy that will preach a sermon, you know, do a video, do a conference, and I will never, ever listen to myself. It is one of my, it is one of the things that I hate the most um, to have to sit there and listen to myself. Uh, and then I had to do it to listen to this response. So, Layton, you did something to me that I, you know, I will hold a grudge against. You made me have to listen to myself. Uh, however, um, you know, I did do that. He, he pointed that out. Yes. The Texas Baptist convention are, uh, and I, and I generalize that. I think it's called something else, but I think we all, we all know what we're talking about. Apologetics um, 101. Yeah. Well, it's yes, called yes, apologetics, apologetics 101. 101 is, is the apologetics, uh, website on their, on the Texas Baptist with, uh, uh, him and uh, I believe the other gentleman, the other apologist is Eric Hernandez. Hernandez yeah. Yes. Um, I, one of the things that I said later on in the show was I couldn't, I couldn't recommend Layton's ministry. I need to, I need to make that divide. And this is for me personally, um, because Texas Baptists evangelism and apologetics Although there are people, contributors on there, I do not agree with. Um, I, if someone said from Texas, hey, you know, I need to look at evangelism and apologetics, I would push them to the state convention because I'm a good Baptist and that's what I do. Unless it's a soteriology issue, and then I'm going to say, you need to look for somebody else. Because as I've talked with Layton, I, I've said, you know, through these through these response videos, through now our interaction um, on Messenger, um, I, I'm looking to build a bridge. And it's great that we can have these disagreements and we can disagree with each other, um, but we can try to build bridges and try to, to go further. Now, uh, so I, I will blatantly say I was wrong and I'm sorry. And that, you know, if there's an apologetic thing or evangelism thing, make sure you go to the Texas Baptist, unless this is a soteriology issue, and then you come to the Missouri Baptist because we we got it handled. And again, <laughs> Layton, that, that's just a little jab between you know Missouri and Texas because let's be honest, we're two boneheaded states. Uh, we are the show me state; they are the Lone Star state. It's both in our names. We're boneheaded. We 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 just think we're better. And and according to some. Missouri is the Holy land. So, I mean, I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't hear that about Texas. Yeah. But I mean, another yeah. thing. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, just from my end, you know, like, um, you know, I, I drew the distinction at the very beginning. when you think about Texas apologists, you know, so let's, let's take, take things the way they are. I said that they were, when you think of Texas apologists in some circles, um, what are you going to think about? You're going to think about Leighton Flowers. So um, my issue with this is even though there is the distinction um, to me, Leighton, you are the head of this 
this thing in the Texas Baptist. And again, my issue still stands. Um, you spend a majority of your time divisive to me anyway, in, in a way, um, just going after Calvinism. And we, we will get to some issues here in just a little bit with that. Um, but you're known, um, you know, whenever I research Leighton Flowers on Mormonism, what did I get? Mormonism and Cal- versus Calvinism. When I said Leighton Flowers, typed in Leighton Flowers and Jehovah's Witnesses, nothing. You know, so Texas Baptist might be taking care of that. And I'm going to be glad that the Texas Baptist has more people in it, maybe more diverse. But how about you? How are you leading the charge for Texas Baptists? And so, you know, I'm not saying this in mean spiritedness, but it is seen that this is all that you do is talk about soteriology. It is called soteriology 101. And yes, I don't expect you to talk about anything but soteriology, but you only hit one area of soteriology and you're trying to go, no, this is the traditional Baptist, provisionalist, whatever. Against Calvinism, you're going to draw a distinction between the whosoever will Baptists versus Calvinism when that is literally, literally a just a bad argument that is fallacious and you know it. It's been asked from, it's been talked about that you that Calvinists do and you have to agree whoever believes has eternal life and we believe that and I wish that you would leave that language alone. So that's going to be my two cents. The exact language but, that was echoed in my church when people use Soteriology 101 to try to create a problem and then of course did create a split and that was the exact phrase that was said you're not a whosoever will person. Yeah, and the thing is, and I is, know where he got it from. It's not. I know where he got it yeah, from. And the thing is, it's not whosoever will in the English text of John three sixteen. So it's whoever whosoever believes has eternal oh, life. And when I showed will. that so, to that guy, he didn't know what to say. By the way, yeah. But let me give my little piece because I think this is very important. Doctor Flowers works for the Texas State Convention, a Texas Baptist entity. I work for Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, a Southern Baptist entity. In the entity that I work for, this is not a discussion on campus. This is not a, oh, which side are you on type of deal. Praise God for people who actually will spend the time as a Southern Baptist entity striving to be faithful to God's word and not try to push a standpoint on others. That to me is a very big deal. I don't speak as a person who works for that entity on this podcast. This is my podcast. So I understand my podcast with Adam's, Adam and I's podcast. I am stating, I understand how you run in a different lane in a different type of ministry. Perfect. Yet, here is the issue outside of the state of Texas. How are you known? What is known is what we stated. I will stand by such a thing. The other thing that I think is very frustrating is that there was a demeaning nature in the fact these guys don't study, these guys don't know. Well, actually, now I know I've read your dissertation twice, and I have watched your program since 2017 when I was first made aware of who you were. I've watched your debates. I've watched full episodes. It's fallacious to say that, no, these guys don't ever listen to me. False. I've proven you wrong. In fact, in our interactions online, I quoted from the sources that you used in your dissertation. 
that's fallacious and that's wrong. Will was presented as someone who hadn't read Calvin's works, and I'll hand it back to Will because he can pick up there. Yeah, so one one of the things that, you know, there was a few things that really stood out at me, um, and maybe it's because I didn't make it clear, but um, I, I, I didn't know I necessarily needed to make it this clear. Um, when I When I was giving kind of my... I don't know if you want to say my testimony of becoming a Calvinist and how I, how I came into that. I mean, I had, you know, up until that point, it's not like I had a, a large collection of theological books on my, on my shelf, but however I did, um, you know, reading stuff for school and uh, going through this journey, just, just as Layton talked about in his book, this journey of coming out of Calvinism uh, I had read a lot of things. My point was I did not come to Calvinism because of a certain person, um, a theological person, you know, uh, Calvin or Spurgeon or stuff like that. And I'll be honest, I, I had not read a lot of Calvin at that time. Time. Again, at that time, see, I, I went about it and was coming into, you know, reading things. And I'll be very honest, when I first became a Christian, uh, and, and I'll make this distinction too, you know, becoming a Christian many years ago, becoming a Calvinist many years ago, I have read a lot of stuff up until, well, now, until now. Yeah, to this point. And, so yeah, that's the thing is, and this is what... Um, some sort of point in the video that he uh, hit against me that, you know, we're not listening, you're not listening. And he's like, oh, so who's not listening? And the thing is, this proves that you want to hear what you want to hear, and then you just spout it out without saying anything. This is what we're talking about. Like, you're here, you heard him say that, but you didn't listen. Like, and then you continued, like, you made the jab throughout, throughout the, the video two hours. Saying, he's never read the original sources. Slow down. Well, and, <laughs> you know, and, and that's yeah, the issue. And, and that became a yeah. almost a running, I don't want to say a running gag, but a running jab. I would, yeah. and that's how I felt. I felt that it was a jab. And and again, I think that if if Layton knew more of my my story, like personal walk in life, he would probably understand why this is is affecting me more. Um, and, and it's not something I'm gonna gonna make public, but I will feel free to talk to Layton about it. But you know, through this, it was, okay, so he's not studying, um, you know, he, he had never read Calvin or, and all this stuff. And, and again, even Layton says in his own book, uh, you know, not all Calvinists are the same and we need to understand that. And, and again, I, I take the, the name Calvinist because I think that when we, when we try to, um, distinguish ourselves and where we lean and maybe i should just say i'm reformed but then people automatically assume okay well you're calvinistic well well yeah because i i align to that side it's not saying that everything that calvin taught you know are said i i i agree with 100 percent, and i think that even you know it, well, and that's the good thing about the Southern Baptist Convention is we have pastors from all walks of life that disagree on something. If it's end time stuff, it is. If it's you know soteriology, um, 
evangelistic methods and other things like that, we all kind of come under the same banner and we will be able to combine together to, to actually go out and do what was good. So what I'm, what I'm wanting to say, and I, again, I've reached out and I tweeted this and I, and I will say this, you know, anyone who is listening to this, uh, who wants to communicate with me, please reach out to me on my Twitter. Um, do not go to my personal sites or my per- personal pages or my church website or my church, you know, Facebook page and try to communicate through me and tell me I'm wrong via that. Go to my Twitter. It is at W.R. Hoffman, H-O-F-F-M-A-N-N, 1689. That is my handle. You can con- talk to me on there. I will, I will gladly talk to you on there. Don't go to my other you know, personal pages and tell me I'm wrong and how dare I, you know, go against Leighton Flowers because that's been my week. Um, but, you know, I-, I wanted to make clear, yes, I've read. Yes, I've, I've read Calvin. I've read Spurgeon. I continue to read. And guess what? I even read Leighton Flowers. Mm. I even read Adrian Rogers. Mm. I even teach Adrian Rogers in my church. Uh, what every Christian ought to know was one of the first Bible studies I did in my church and then did a sermon series. And there wasn't, I didn't agree a hundred percent with everything that he said, but I still have respect enough to read his stuff and to teach that stuff. You know, MacArthur, uh, R.C. Sproul, others. And, and here is a little known fact without throwing any names out there. Probably right now, my, my closest closest friend in ministry is a provisionalist who I talk to on a daily basis. And we talk about a number of different things. And even when it comes up to theological stuff, we will talk and we will have communications and all of that stuff. But he is also the guy that I would stand on the front line, swords drawn, going into battle, going into you know, any theological or any evangelistic, you know, time uh, with him. Because although we, we disagree on this, we understand that doing the work for the kingdom is important. So I, I want to say to, you know, the listeners and to, to Leighton, if he, he does uh, watch this, um, I have read, I continue to read, I continue to learn, and I continue to grow. Um, and I go into every everything that I read, everything that I watch, uh, with an open mind. And yes, I I'm you know I am reformed. Primarily, I will go if you're going to give me an opportunity to buy a book, I'm probably going to pick out a reformed author because that's where I go. However, many times I have went. To you know, I uh, I love the bookstore there in in Springfield in your neck of the woods. Redeem. and yes, and you know I will come out of there with many books that sometimes I don't even know where the author lines up. I just want to read about the topic. Yeah. Um, and then you come out and you find out, oh, they're on this side, they're on this side, or or whatever. Okay, but they're talking about a topic that I want to read about. Uh, if it's about hell, if it's about Muslims, if it's about, you know, even just buying an evangelistic book or a, an apologetic book, knowing that that apologist 
has the same views as Leighton Flowers. I will buy that just to read to see, okay, how do they come across the subject? One of the biggest things that I do, um, well, when I was preaching on uh, eternal security, was I called the Methodist pastor down the street and I said, I need to sit down and talk to you about why you don't believe in internal security because it is bugging the bejeebas out of me because I think it is a beautiful doctrine that we have as Southern Baptists, but I need to understand why you don't. And that was a long way of saying, Leighton, up until that point when I became a Calvinist, I had not read a lot of Calvin, but I had read Calvin. I'd read Spurgeon. I'd read John MacArthur, all them. And I continued to read and I continued to grow. And I even read other stuff that I don't agree with, but I still read it. You know, even after the response, uh, you know, giving credit where credit's due. I've watched, you know, a lot of clips of Layton's uh, videos. I uh, can't necessarily say I've sat down and watched hours upon hours of videos, um, but I've I tried to find clips and f- tried to find things or, you know, the debates that he's done. But the first thing I did, luckily, Amazon Prime bought his book, and I, I'm in the process of reading his book, uh, The Potter's Promise, and going through it and making notes and trying to say, hey, you know, we're going to, you know, I'm going to eventually look at this and Maybe when he comes on the the podcast, we can actually talk about this. But there's let me still jump into a few things I, I here, I want, Will, um, because I want to make sure yeah, we I've were accused really on the no, no problem, man, no problem. What we've been accused of not reading and not knowing uh, that is great. I've read the Potter's Promise twice. I have multiple issues with it, three of which I'll point out here today. Adam likewise has some things in regard to statements that were said in the video regarding Calvin, regarding Spurgeon specifically, specifically a Spurgeon sermon. So we're going to jump into that because I don't believe, and my accusation would be, you said we didn't do our homework. Great. We don't do our homework. We'll show you what not doing our homework looks like. Adam. Yeah. And so, yeah, I wanted to deal with the fact he, you know, you, you want to, Leighton wants to go to Calvinistic authors, um, say what he wants to say um, to prove his narrative or whatever. And this kind of a still attaches itself to, um, is he reading? Is he listening? Is he actually getting the arguments right? Um, and I, I mean, really the James White debate proves that there is some sort of disconnect um, in his understanding of following arguments. Um, this could be with Romans nine. This could be um, with understanding the other side in that debate. Um, but there is definitely an issue because, and I've seen this, it's not just Leighton Flowers, a few other people that are online that are utilizing this quote from Charles Spurgeon, but he says, Charles Spurgeon doesn't believe in, um, believe that regeneration precedes faith. Um, and, uh, that's the way I heard it. If I'm wrong, let me know. Um, but, uh, I think that's what, uh, Leighton Flowers said, maybe he just doesn't like the language or whatever, but no matter what, let's get into this. He uses this quote. Um, it's from the, this one is the warrant of faith, um, sermon. And he's got a point one in here. It says first negatively, um, here and here, my first observation is that any other way of preaching the gospel warrant is absurd. Um, so, you know, talking about gospel warrant, what are we talking about here? The thing is, is there's a context in which 
um, Charles Spurgeon is speaking to, and who is he speaking to? What kind of arguments is he speaking against? And so if we get in here, there's a couple of different arguments that are made. Um, You'll tell me that I ought to preach the gospel or preach faith in Christ only to those who repent of their sins. And he says, no, I don't have to. They're already saved. Why do I have to teach faith to someone who is already regenerate? Because they're already having faith. They're already regenerate, right? Um, There's another one. Argument two is a man must have some good desires toward Christ before he has any warrant to believe in Jesus. So the thing is, is there's a um, equivocation going on here that, um, you know, Charles Spurgeon is going like, no, I don't have to preach to like, he's maybe he's sounds like he's talking to like some hyper Calvinist uh, folks. And he's saying, you know, hyper Calvinist folks that are saying like, well, I'm going to wait till somebody evidences by good deeds um, I'm, go- I'm going to go to them to preach the gospel. I'm not going to go out indiscriminately because it's a waste of my time. And Charles Spurgeon is actually making like, no, no, we go preach the gospel. We only pre- we preach the gospel to sinners. And this comes down to the, we don't know, you know, the wind blows. So are the people who are born of the spirit, right? Um, we don't know. And so this is actually a subjective issue that Charles Spurgeon is speaking into. This is not saying that he does not like the language or does not uh, agree that regeneration precedes faith, especially when in that text, within the same quote, it says, if a sinner hath any degree of true holiness, this is speaking to the argument that, um, you know, they must have some good desires um, before they, you know, before he has any warrant to believe in Jesus. He says, if a sinner hath any degree of true holiness in him, it must be the work of the Holy Spirit, for true holiness never exists in the carnal mind. Therefore, that man is already renewed. Then go to another one that's way more explicit. And head number two. In Again, the, the faith, argument is we don't from do Dr. Homework. Flowers. We don't do our homework. The argument is that Spurgeon, what again? He, that he doesn't hold to regeneration, but prior to faith. There you go. And then you have a whole uh, sermon and, and here, faith and regeneration it. by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Um, you know, I've I've got lots of highlights where it admits it, um, but you know, just to get to the second point in the sermon, we must now pass on to show that when wherever it exists, and it being faith here, it is a proof of regeneration. So faith presupposes regeneration. This is the whole thrust of the sermon where he says things like, let's see here, let's see here, my highlights. Let's see here. Preach the gospel to every creature and added that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. The faith um, which is to be preached was evidently none, uh, nothing, nothing other than a saving faith. Um, let's see here. Oh, while Adam is see here. Yeah, I was, dealing I with on that one. Spurgeon, let me point out if you watch the video, the response video. About 10 minutes in, I made a statement that I stand by. The statement was that provisionalism is not a historic position. Okay, yeah, here's, let, me, let me get here. So I here's, will here's follow that up yeah. here in just a minute, Adam. Yeah. So, yeah, at the same time, this faith, wherever it exists, 
is in every case without exception the gift of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. Never yet did a man believe in Jesus with the faith here intended, except the Holy Spirit led him to do so. He has wrought all our works in us and our faith too. And then here's the big kicker quote. Faith is too celestial a grace to spring up in human nature until it is renewed. Faith is in every believer the gift of God. Now, the challenge would be very simple. Please evidence, direct what we would certainly say are contradictory statements to that. Yeah. From cool sermons is, yeah. of Spurgeon. Yeah, and the cool thing is, is Spurgeon is a man. He can be contradictory, and that's fine. And that, so we have to go back again to Scripture being the final authority um, in all these matters anyway. So, yeah. There you go. You can, you can say what you want to say and try to catch people off guard and get them, you know, just kind of get away from the argument and shut down the argument with that. But we still have to go to Scripture um, anyway so we can save a step. So let me bring three very direct and specific arguments I have read. I did not know that the Potter's Promise was Dr. Flower's dissertation. Excellent. I've read it twice. I've marked it up both times. From this book, and it's a large book, I mean, okay. Relatively, I'm saying there's, you know, I think it's maybe a 250-page book, maybe, maybe less than that. I'm not, I'm not for sure. It's not like this massive treatise, right? So here are my three pieces from this book that I think are problematic. And so, Dr. Flowers, love to discuss these with you. Maybe when you come on, I'm hoping that that will happen, but I'm very curious. On page 64 of The Potter's Promise, you say very clearly, excuse me, it's on page 65 of The Potter's Promise, you say this, but we are never said to be corpse-like and thus unresponsive, as was Lazarus in his tomb, an analogy never linked to soteriology by the scripture, despite what some Calvinists teach in their eisegetical reading of that narrative. And this is also an accusation you've made against Jeff Durbin as well. Okay, brother. We are never said to be corpse-like. Now, I don't want to pretend that I have done well in my Greek studies. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, where Paul has laid out, because one of the things you talk about in here is that election doesn't mean election, chosen doesn't mean chosen. Great. That's one of the things that you talk about with Ephesians chapter 1. Cool. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, that's verse 2, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Okay. Briefly. Context. Believers at Ephesus. Generalized, right? He's speaking to regenerate, saved people. And his statement is, you were dead in your trespasses. Well, let's just do a brief little piece of, again, exegetical homework here. Anyone can do this. Um, I'm not doing anything really, really special. But the word that is used here is a key word. Necros. Semantic domain of necros. Here's my challenge. Show me from scripture itself where necros means anything other 
than dead. Because Thayer's tells me in its lexicon, one that has breathed his last, lifeless, deceased, departest, those whose soul is in Hades, destitute of life, without life. Universally, it is destitute of the force of power, inactive, inoperative. Thayer's lexicon. Strong's concordance tells us very clearly, dead, literally or figuratively. The Englishman's lexicon. Again, I'm just on Bible Hub. I haven't pulled up some great big program. Necros. It says that there are 130 occurrences of Necros in the scripture. Your statement here on page 65 is that we are never said. We are never said to be corpse-like. That application from what you have said before is the people of God are never said to be dead. Ephesians chapter 2, speaking of the former state of the church in Ephesus, dead. Necros. 130 occurrences. I am more than happy to read them. Not all 130, but let's just play with a few. Let's just look at, at how Paul uses the word necros, because I think that's the key piece, right? It's Paul's letter. It's Paul's writing to the church. So what has he said elsewhere about the word necros? Romans chapter 1, by the resurrection from the dead. Romans chapter 4, 17, who gives life to the dead. Romans chapter 6, verse 4, was raised from the dead. Romans chapter 6, verse 9, having been raised from the dead. Romans chapter 6, verse 11, yourselves to be dead in your trespasses and sin. What does necros mean? Your statement is that believers are never said to be corpse-like. Show me from Scripture, from Scripture alone, let's even narrow it down, from Paul's usage of the word. When does he mean anything other than dead, lifeless, without the power of life? First piece. Second argument, second piece that I have for you, and I, and I believe that it is, again, uh, I believe it's fair. Uh, I believe that it is something that is useful. Um, in your long chapter on Romans 9, you then begin to reference how Clement believed in free will. You cite Lorraine Botner's work and uh, trying to be brief in my summary here on this uh, because I think that that's important. You state here one thing that I, I believe is exceptionally important when it comes to how the church, and, and trying to be somewhat quick in this, you basically state that, first of all, Botner says that Calvinism, the soteriology of Calvinism, didn't arrive until the 4th or 5th century. So two responses to that. You're a debater. Number one, we know from church history that the doctrine of the atonement doesn't show up around uh, up into church doctrine in a very clear way until the 4th century. So that argument by that standard, if it doesn't show up until the 4th or 5th century, we just need to throw it away. Well, then we need to do that with the atonement. But here's the issue. Central to the understanding of election 
is the doctrine of the atonement. You understand? What did Christ's work accomplish? Okay, so let's take this very clear. You cite Botner's work on the history of Calvinism from monergism.com. It's in your reference notes. It's actually your footnote 100. It's on the first or second page that you're actually referencing what Botner says. You didn't have to read that far into that Botner book. It's a 60-page book. You didn't have to read that far into it. Basically, on the second page or first page of the book, Botner says that. But Botner is not the only person who's done a little bit of history on the development of both Calvinism and Arminianism. It starts with Pelagius. So, in another article, A Brief History of the Doctrines of Grace, we see this, as Cunningham writes, As there was nothing new in the substance in the Calvinism of Calvin, so there was nothing new in the Arminianism of Arminianus. Of Arminius, sorry. The doctrine of Arminius can be traced back as far as the time of Clemens Alexandrius, and seems to have been held by many of the fathers of the 3rd and 4th centuries, having been diffused in the church through the corrupting influence of pagan philosophy. Pelagius and his followers in the 5th century were decidedly opposed to Calvinism as Arminius was, though they deviated much further from sound doctrine than he did. Arminianism, Pelagianism, essentially semi-Pelagianism is where you are. What is it that Cunningham makes very clear? Free article on monogism. It's on like the first page too. Didn't have to go very far. What do we see? Well, your argument is from the Potter's Promise that we should throw out the Augustinian view of soteriology because he was deeply influenced by determinist. If that is the case, if we need to throw out this idea that the Augustinian soteriology needs to be dropped because it was influenced by philosophical determinism that was found in the 3rd and 4th century, quoting Botner from your dissertation, your book, The Potter's Promise, then by that same standard we need to throw out any Arminianism because it was influenced by pagan philosophy in the 3rd and 4th century. Is that a standard that you want to maintain? Question. Now, I hope I'm not taking too much time, but I, but I have one other piece because this is exceptionally important to me as well. And this piece comes from uh, basically the argument that you're making here um, concerning um, how, I apologize when I'm thinking, I say, um, just a little bit more. It's fine. In that ninth chapter, you're saying that Clement of Rome affirmed libertarian free will. You cite from Clement's letter, great recognitions, Clement of Rome, recognitions, book three. You actually quote from pages, this is on page 139 and 140 in the Potter's Freedom. You say that it looks like in book three, chapter 23, that Pelagius is saying that he affirms and Peter affirms the free will. Jump down two chapters. See, and this is the issue. You're not throwing, showing the full picture. Because in chapter 25, Paul, excuse me, Peter says this. For some things, and he's making a discussion concerning, are you ready? The doctrine of salvation, actually. That's what you were quoting about, so you're talking about in your citation on page 39, 139 and 140. He says, chapter 25, Recognitions, book three. Peter, for some things, as we have said, he has so willed to be that they cannot 
be otherwise than they were ordained by him. So there's a discussion. Actually, Clement is having a bit of a disagreement here. Peter is saying very clearly, you're basically saying there's a conflict, right? For some things, as we said, he has so willed to be that they cannot be otherwise than as they were ordained by him. And to these, he has assigned neither rewards nor punishments, but those which he has willed to be so that they have it in their power to do what they will, he has assigned to them according to their actions and their wills. Oh, wait. According to Peter, who assigned someone's wills and actions to them? And he's actually talking about the unregenerate. God. Then it continues. To earn either rewards or punishments. God has assigned... Wait. God has assigned... Did you go back? But to those which he has willed to be so that they have it in their own power to do what they will, he has assigned to them according to their actions their and their wills to earn either rewards or punishments. Since therefore, as I have informed you, all things that are moved are divided into two parts according to the distinction that I formally stated. Oh, wait. Peter has made a formal distinction. And what is that distinction? Everything that God wills is, and everything that he wills not, is not. That is compatibilism. Yes, which is the deal. Because, yeah, maybe we weren't clear. We didn't come out and explicitly say it when we started talking about the free will thing. Um, We are unlike Sonny Hernandez, so don't put us in that camp. Because we will deal. We're you don't like you know like we say you have a if you want a joke here to lighten things up we say have a problem with Romans nine you also have a problem with the London Baptist Confession chapter nine so you didn't you only showed a couple of parts you didn't want to get into compatibilism because you already assumed that we are fatalist determinist and no we are totally fine we are not embarrassed of the creaturely free will the same not embarrassment James White has saying creaturely free will that you have never dealt with and it seems if clement of rome excuse me if clement and his writings about peter again from recognitions book three which you cited from in your dissertation in your book you didn't show us the whole picture though yep and so um you know that that just goes goes into um just the fact are you listening? Are you reading? Are, are you slow to read and read full things and present full things? Again, we're, are we not listening to each other fully? We've got to take all these into um, account. We are imperfect. We are mutable beings. We've got to slow down. And uh, the thing is, is if you know, you're mad at us for misrepresenting, you're, doing this, you're still doing the same thing. So there was three <laughs> arguments. Yeah. Did you get them? So there you go. Necros, which you say on page 65, it doesn't say in scripture, the man is dead. No, false. Show me from Paul's understanding and use of the word necros in its semantic domain when it ever means anything other than dead. Next, your argument concerning why you should reject Augustinian soteriology is that he was influenced by by greek philosophy okay 
how does that comprehend and work with your position that derives from Pelagius and Marinia and, and, and Arminius? Same thing. Equal standards. Finally, you quote from Clement and Recognitions, book three. Yeah, don't show the whole story. Yeah. Peter actually corrects and extends how that free will works, and it's not libertarian free will. Yeah. So, Sorry, Will, oh, no, man. No, yeah. I made you stand no. so long on there. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he went long-winded. We went long-winded. <laughs> and uh, let's throw it back to Will, because yeah, uh, we've only got 12 minutes left before we have to um, get off on this one anyway. Uh, but, Will, you, yeah. had, you had one more um, argument that you wanted to bring up, because uh, we can't hit everything. That's right. Um, you know, like, we went, yeah, an hour and, we went over an hour last time. Uh, he went like two and a half hours on us. We we didn't want to bog you down with the video and that kind of commentary anymore. So we're hitting arguments. If we've got any of our but, arguments wrong, yeah, just let us know that we have we have misapplied things from our discussion. Two pieces, real quick. Will but, yeah. I'll be brief. If you have any more questions about Clement of Rome, ninety-five A.D., I'd be more than happy to unpack what it is that Paul is. Excuse me, that Clement is writing about when he uses the word elect. How is that word understood in the book of Romans? Because the word elect and election, and are you ready? Penal substitutionary atonement itself is found in Clement of Rome, 95 AD. You don't get penal substitutionary atonement. You don't get to deal with the atonement without dealing with what the atonement accomplished. It's already laid out. More than happy to have that discussion. Yeah. So, Will, floor is yours again. Yeah, so you know there there's a lot of things that we could point at and we can and we can go through the entire video but you know again uh, we just don't have the time to do it. I know we all are busy. But one of the things that I think w that needs to be addressed uh and this has been, you know, within the SBC for a while, which again with Layton being being part of the SBC is about the the one hour mark, about fifty eight minutes, mm. and following. He talks about open theist and yes. calling them yeah. his his brothers in Christ, and this this is something the SBC has already taken a stand on. Uh, back in ninety nine, and I, I have it right here. Uh, this actually comes from uh, the Baptist Press article on the article of open theism closed says the Southern Baptist Convention, Convention has addressed the question of open theism. First, in a resolution offered by Southern Seminary President uh, Albert Moeller in 99's annual meeting in Atlanta, the resolution passed by the convention affirmed that God knows all things, including the future. The SBC then addressed the issue in the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, uh, which we asked Layton if he believes in, and, and he says that he could he could hold on, hold to it, sign off on it, uh, put in the article about God, affirms that God's perfect knowledge extends to all things past, present, and future, including the free decisions or the future decisions of his free creatures. Now, immediately when I heard this, I, I had to jump on the phone uh, and talk to uh, a, my non-Calvinist friend to say, do you believe... Uh, a, you know, do you believe that open theists are Christians? This was a a statement that I thought all Southern Baptists had been firm on 
Now, even my even my buddy, he he didn't necessarily want to come out and say, well, you know, they're not Christians. But when we break it down of eliminating a key aspect of God, mm-hmm. then you you in a sense create a different God. If he does not know the future, if he is not all knowing, then yes, you have taken away a aspect of God. Therefore, you have changed God. And yeah. we know from scripture, and at least within saying we're we're Southern Baptists, we're all Southern Baptists here. That's um, right. We're we're Missouri Baptists, Layton, you're Texas Baptist, but we all come under this umbrella of Southern Baptists. We have already taken a stand on this. We have taken a stand on this and say that open theism is wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that a lot of open theists try to have a a a subdivision of their open theism and saying, well, you know, uh you know, and I'm going to butcher it, so I'm not even going to say it. Again, something I got from Layton's response video. <laughs> but they they try to, in a sense, say that, it, you know, it's not all, you know, it's known, but, you know, there's X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, then they need to step out of open theism. They need to, I guess, create their own thing and, and go away. Because if you say, I've read these open theists are... Um, this other term that I can't say off the top of my head, I can't think of it. Sorry. Um, if you're say, yeah, we're open theist, and and again, one of my worries is that we see a lot of people kind of leaning this direction, and they say, well, you know, we have this mystery about God's knowledge, therefore, we're just going to step into the open theism camp and say it's okay. Southern Baptists have already taken a stand. We we don't believe that open theism is is biblical. Um, most everyone I've talked to about this on both sides, I think all reform people have the same, same idea. It's wrong. It's, it's, it's heretical, uh, because you change God people on the non-Calvinist side, although they are uh, not eager to jump on the bandwagon of saying these people are outside of the faith. When you push them on the issue of them changing God to be, uh, not all knowing, then yes, they do line up and say, well, yes, then you have to admit that this this group, this open theist group has created a new God. It is just like when before I became a Christian and I professed a, a knowledge of God, uh, a knowledge of Jesus, even going so far as saying I was a Christian, but I did not believe in hell. Yeah. It's the same thing. And a lot of people told me, you cannot be a Christian if you don't believe in hell. And if anyone comes up to us and says, well, I don't believe in hell, you're going to say, well, that's not the God of the Bible. Yeah, well, that's not the Christ of Scripture. He's the one that preached on it. So if he teaches you something, he says, if you buy it in my commandments, right? And Mm -hmm. especially in his teachings, that's loving Jesus is, you know, loving his teachings, following his teachings, listening to his word. Um, if you, if you believe something against Christ and his teaching, then you're, I mean, you're literally not a a Christian. Now you can try to say that you're a parts and piecing. Like I would, I would say, well, I don't understand it. Um, wanting to understand it. Like I can't hold to it right now. There might be some give and take in that relationship, but if you're coming straight out of the board saying that you don't believe in something that Christ taught and you're going to be dogmatic about it, then I'm going to say, no, you're not. And I'm not going to treat you. (laughs) And that's like a brother and a sister in that sense. I, you know, we can't do that. And so when it comes to open theism, yeah, again, like you said, this is like, you know, whenever we get into the problem of evil, this is just submitting to man's 
pagan Greek philosophy trying to argue against um, the God of Scripture, which we are supposed to demolish arguments against that knowledge using His Word. Again, there's a, again there's a reason why you know at this table we're all you know presuppositional or covenantal apologists because that's the way we do things. We start with the Triune God of Scripture and His revelation. And we, you know, we, we can do all these things. We can say, yeah, people were influenced by this. This was, you know, these, this, uh, old, you know, scholars thoughts, uh, aren't in a vacuum. His right, their writings aren't in a vacuum. Yes. There might be some influence or something. Um, but the, you know, but we can always go back to scripture and we can learn yeah. our, and this is where we're Vantillian. We, we, we have brought our philosophies and we have renewed our mind and washed our mind with scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, changing us and renewing us um, in that vein to where we try to get rid of the things that are false. And so if an older scholar was influenced by whatever, um, if he was influenced, he was washed by scripture. And hey, if uh, determinism still stays, right, or not necessarily determinism in the sense that Leighton Flowers is talking about, but if, if, uh, if you're dead in your sins, um, if that's a part of what scripture says, you believe it. If, uh, you know, if you're Necron, you know, dead in sin, you believe it because that's what scripture says. That's what Greek talks about. You know, if you go through that lexicons and all that kind of stuff. And this is why James White said, I want to challenge you with the Greek text. Well, and you know, and, and I'm not saying that, is it fair? Uh, you know, I, I think there's a better way to have a conversation than meeting those demands. And, you know, I'd like to try to uh, be a means to try to get you and James James back together, Leighton, and have because I want to see it, and I know there's a lot of people that want to see it, so we'd be excited about it. Um, but if there's any sort of compromises that we can make between you two to be able to discuss something together again, we would like to be a means in that if we can. But we're definitely not uh, propping Absolutely. ourselves up that high to make that happen. No, but, we'd you know, we will throw our bodies out there to, to try. try to work to make something like that occur. Yeah, um, yeah, and so. and. That that would be an excellent thing to do, and I I do want to ask Leighton one question, and I, I will post this out on Twitter, the Twitterverse, and all that other things, and it would be a good discussion, something that something that a, a Bible professor threw out to me, and this was again before I was a Calvinist, and I went to a very non-Calvinist school, um, but the idea is asking this question in two parts: Do you believe that God is all knowing? Yes or no. Where do you line? Second question is, when God created Judas, did he know what Judas was going to do? Was he going to betray Jesus? Question number three, I guess it's a three-part question. Why did God create Judas? Hmm. When we, when we look into that, that three-part question, is God all-knowing? When he created Judas, did he know he was going to betray Jesus? Third question, why did God go ahead and create Judas? It's deep. I understand it. It made me think for a lot of hours uh, um, on my travel. And it made my entire class stop in their tracks. Something to think about. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll leave it with that. We have uh, hit about the hour mark and it's a busy night for us in the integrate land anyway, but appreciate you will um, taking the time, appreciate your honesty, your humility and all this. Um, again, if there's any charge, get charges against uh, David and I bring them up. Um, 
and uh, we we can talk about it or whatever. We're always if willing, I fail so. to do my homework, let me know. Yeah, so yeah. We're, we're here to build bridges. Yeah, and so you know we what we hope that this just strengthening strengthens the apologetic game of both states and encourages other state conventions to uh, spend a little time, spend a little so then cash. Let me put one last piece on out. Something like this, Doctor Flowers. You've said that your primary apologetics stuff is not just soteriology. And brother, I'd encourage you to make sure that you support the abolition of abortion resolution that will be made. There will be many abolitionists at the annual meeting. I hope you're there. And I hope that you will voice your support for the end the immediate end and illegalization of abortion in the United States. Be sure to articulate such a thing. Stand with many Calvinists and many whatevers, and certainly you could probably ask them and they would say a variety of things, maybe provisionalist as well. I am certain that if you told them that this is what they were, then they would agree stand with them because life is sacred and do something beyond just soteriology yeah so with that said this is the tag your it podcast i'm ray ray i'm dave and and i'm will and soli deo gloria